Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible and Neil Gaiman. Head over to audible.com slash ngp for Neil Gaiman Presents, a collection of books personally selected and produced for audio by Neil himself. That's audible.com slash ngp. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode 26, Mystery Plots. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry? And we might be that smart. (laughs) I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I'm Howard. Mystery plotting. This is how to construct a mystery in any type of genre you're doing. Um, Not necessarily writing the mystery genre itself. Someday we will do a podcast on that, but we want to have a good mystery author on um, when we do that. But if you think about it, basically there are two plot types. There is the anticipation plot where you know what's coming and you're waiting for it to happen. That's a a romance or oftentimes the big action plot. And then there's the mystery where you don't know what's going to happen and you're waiting to find the big revelation. And you could pretty much break down every plot archetype into one of these two. Um, Today we're going to talk about how to write a good mystery. How to write a subplot or even a main plot that is about finding out information. How do we do this? Well, one of the tricks that I use is um, is a really simple one, which is uh, related to red herrings, but it's it's burying the important information. And the way I do that is I um, like if I'm having my person walk into a room and mm-hmm. notice things, um, I make sure that whatever it is that is important, it's like I give them a list of three or four things that they notice, and the thing that is important I put in the middle of the list. Because people will notice the first thing, and they will notice the last thing, and they will skim the middle one. You know, this works really well, particularly if you can give um, another reason that the middle thing is noticed. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to give I'm going to mm-hmm. give a spoiler here. Um, but um, my, my my first book, Elantris, uh, one of the big mysteries is why did the magic break? Um, and it's related actually to um, this big. Um, you know, you have have to read the book, but it's related to the the, the geography. And there's a big chasm that opened. There's a big earthquake and things like this. Well, um, in order to distract the reader, I flipped causality. I had all the characters thinking, "Oh, the magic broke, and so this big earthquake happened." Where in reality, the big earthquake caused the magic to break. Um, and if you think about this, by giving the readers a very valid explanation that everyone accepts that is kind of just shuffled off to the side. Basically, I hid the solution to the main mystery in plain sight. And this works wonderfully well if you can give a really valid reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can hold it up in front of them, but just like the stage magician, while one hand is doing one thing, the other hand is drawing your attention. Yeah. The, the other benefit of burying the key information like that is that you, uh, your world looks richer than it needs to be. And you can see this a lot in, uh, you know, say any, every episode of Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. The law of economy of characters tells you that the biggest star in the movie or the TV show who is not a regular is the killer. Yes. And you can always figure that out. And so just throwing in extra people, you know, in your book, you can do this. You can have a cast of as many as you want. 
Yep. Throw in extra people. Throw in extra details. When you describe a clue, describe five other things that mean nothing just so that you can't look at it and say, well, that's the one thing he told us. That must be the important part. Well, and that this is, um, this is kind of trying to foil the whole Sherlock Holmes concept, which is if the, if the reader can eliminate everybody but one, you've actually got a problem. Mm -hmm. um, now, eventually, you should be able to eliminate everybody but one. But if, mm -hmm. when you start, you're like, they're like, well, we've seen viewpoints from all these people, but the quote-unquote butler. Obviously, yeah. it's the butler. You want to avoid doing that because it's going to... Well, that, I, I wouldn't say that's going against the Sherlock Holmes principle. It's, it's feeding it. Well, you it's have to it. give your reader things they can eliminate. Right. Well, you do. But what I'm saying is you don't want, to, um, you don't want Sherlock to be able to walk on to your, your, mm -hmm. um, your book and, you know, scene one and say, okay, eliminated, 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 bing. Um, you have to give valid reasons and valid motivations for multiple characters that can slowly be eliminated. Yes. One of the, the most interesting, um, and I wish I could remember which of the very famous mystery writers said this, um, but, uh, and, and it's someone like Agatha Christie, but don't quote me as saying that it actually mm -hmm. was, but, um, she never knew who, who did it until the end. She was a seat of the pants writer. Okay. And, um, and, I was, and, and I was reading this interview, and I'm like, wah! Yeah. And the, the Did answer... Did she do any rewriting? Well, her answer was that she made it plausible for every character to have been the murderer and gave them all motivations and gave them all reason. And then when she got to the end, she, she picked one. And, and provided one extra reason for it to have been that person. You know, it's funny. I uh, played, uh, played a game of how to host a murder, and um, I read my part wrong. There was a page stuck together, and I was supposed to find out on, like, the third page of my little script that I was the killer. And I didn't know <laughs> that I was the killer. And... And the information on that page was just, you did it, this is how you did it, okay? I knew my skill set you know, on the previous pages, um, but, you know, as I flipped the pages and, you know, looked at, you know, what was happening as, you know, other clues came about, I was sure that somebody else was the killer. <laughs> and my explanations as to why, well, yeah, sure, I'm a, I'm a rock climber, but that doesn't make me, you know, flipping Tarzan. I can't, see, have you seen how far apart those balconies are? I'm not going to try that. That's, don't be ridiculous. Um, and I was completely selling it because Howard completely believed that his character <laughs> was not the killer because I had missed that page. And we got to the end of it, and the wrong person got accused. And I was like, wait a minute, I did it? How, how did that happen? And we found that my pages were stuck together. Now, let me use the how to host a murder um, things as a negative example of how to write a mystery plot. Um, because... There's actually a, a, a problem with these, the ones I've done, and let me explain to the listeners why. They make it so plausible that everybody can be involved because they want it's it's a game. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's fun that way as a game. It's they're not doing it's it a wrong, balanced game, but they're is making it, it a balanced game. But the problem is when you get to the end, you find out who did it. It's not a oh that's who did it. It's a oh well of course, of course. because everybody wanted to kill this person usually, and they actually the murder mystery ones I've played. You know, five people tried. <laughs> and only one of them actually got the person killed first. Um, and this is, actually, this is actually bad if you're writing a straight-up mystery, which we actually need to turn this podcast toward not just whodunits, but if you're writing a straight-up mm -hmm. mystery, be careful of having it be at the end. 
any one of these people could have done it and you just, you know, yeah. this one is the one who did because that will actually be unfulfilling. What the reader's looking for is that extra reason that Agatha Christie is really able to do that in the last few chapters you realize, oh no, none of the others actually could have because this person has the real motivation. Um, I'm getting ready with the, the next Schlock Mercenary book. I'm getting ready to do a mystery, not a, not a murder mystery, but it's a, for lack of terminology, it's a what's in the box uh-huh. mystery. Um, and I already know at this point what's in the box. Um, I, you know, I know what we're going to find at the end. I know why it's significant. I know why it's important. I know why it's going to be fun. Um, what I need to do now as I'm building out the outline for the story is look at why what is in the box might look like other things when you haven't yet opened the box. Mm. Right. So that as we go through the story, we have a fun unfolding of scientific puzzles, sociological puzzles, historical puzzles, whatever else, uh, so that when the box is finally opened, it's very, very satisfying. Right. And we've gotten to a fun place. But the only way for me to build that is to start by knowing what's in the box, why it's important, and, yep. and, and how that affects and informs everything else in the plot. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique, which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, let's stop for a book of the week. Um, actually, Howard, you have our book of the week this week. Oh, fantastic. I, right now, am about three quarters of the way through uh, the new Terry Pratchett book called Snuff. Um, if you follow Terry Pratchett's Discworld books, this is a Sam Vimes novel, and it's a cottage mystery. Uh, Sam Vimes and his wife have gone off to the gone off to the country home where Vimes has never been, and it fits very well into this genre of you know, like the Agatha Christie, the the cottage mystery books. Only it's being told by Sir Terry Pratchett, and it's yep. just delightful. Vimes is one of my favorite characters. His motivations are some of my very fo- favorite motivations. Um, you know, he survived a previous book 
by virtue of the fact that he really wanted to get home on time to read a story to his son. You know, that's a character that I just love. And this book is all about him, and I don't know how it ends yet. Okay, well, go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to uh, start your 14-day free trial. Listen to Terry Pratchett's Snuff. All of his books are standalones, so you could just start with this one if you wanted to. In fact, I usually suggest people not start at the beginning with Discworld um, because the, the middle and later books are just so much better. Uh, so give that a try, support the cast, and uh, support Sir Terry Pratchett, who is an awesome writer. Okay, let's, um, let's take this away from whodunits, and let's talk. Remember, this is a principle of plotting. Dan, you've got something you're um, wanting to say. Yeah, um, I have a book coming out next year in February called Partials. It's science fiction post-apocalypse, and the central plot is a mystery plot about uh, a disease. Mm-hmm. There is a disease that is killing people, and the main character is trying to figure out how that disease functions, why it is killing people, um, what does it, you know, how can it be cured? And yeah. so it is a, a medical mystery, essentially. Yeah. And very similar to what Howard was saying, my method for writing that was, first of all, to figure out exactly how the virus worked and, you know, down into some fairly granular detail that didn't end up in the book, but I needed to know it. And then looking at all the ways that could be misperceived, what misconceptions could half of that information lead you to assume and kind of building in these other things so that I could track in my head very plausible ways for them to not understand it until they get the final clue that puts it all together. Now, um, this is actually how I approach most of my mystery plots. And every given book I have will usually have three or four. Um, I define a mystery plot anytime there's information that the characters don't have that they need. Um, And I plot them backward. I start with what needs to be discovered. And I actually then break it into small chunks. Um, this is kind of following one of my basic methods of plotting, which is the idea of sense of progression. I want there to be a sense of progression in my books. I want there to be little steps along every, um, every problem that's being worked on. And so with a mystery, I decide what needs to be revealed. I decide what clues can be revealed. Mm-hmm. And, I, um, and I space them out appropriately. And then I actually add in the ways to, to hide that. In fact, sometimes I write the whole book with the, the clues being pretty out in the open, and it's in a later draft, that I then um, obfuscate and I hide and I add the stage magician stuff so that um, the reader is misdirected. Sometimes I don't actually have to add misdirection, though. If it's, sometimes the mystery is just we dole out bits of information as the reader finds them. Um, and in this case, it's less of a who, which of these characters did it and more of a where is our killer hiding or... You know, it doesn't have to be a killer plot, but you, you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Those are actually two different styles yeah. of plots, both using a mystery. Well, and breaking it up like in clues like that, I think, is a wonderful way to write a mystery um, at any level of, of proficiency. Because you can look at it and say, well, these four pieces of information will tell you the answer. So I'm going to just plan ahead how I'm going to dole those out to you and how I'm going to bury them and how mm-hmm. I'm going to obscure them with other bits of information. And then it's just almost you know, step by step, you go through and reveal the clues. Now, Howard, we've been talking a lot about the, um, the pre-planning. Now, we know Agatha Christie, as a discovery writer, wrote mysteries. I know you've said several times that you have started with a mystery and figured it out halfway through this whole luxury. You know, you do pl- yeah. pre-plan yeah. a lot more now than you used to. How did you go about doing that when you didn't have the luxury? Um, in, in many cases, I was, yeah, I was just flying it by the seat of my pants and dropping dropping clues uh red herrings 
maybe, or actual clues. I didn't know which. Okay. I was giving the characters information, and then at some point it would coalesce for me, and I'd go back and I'd read through what I'd done, and I'd realize, oh, okay, so that was a red herring, that was a red herring, that was a red herring, but this is the actual trail of clues, and if this is the actual trail of clues, it can only lead to one place. Let's make sure that the red herrings, in fact, lead to a different place and make sense to have existed, and now I can go ahead and finish the story. You know, that's a really good point. Using your red herrings right can really make this satisfying. Not just dropping them in to completely distract, but actually made, make them lead to another place. In fact, I've seen you do this before, Howard, that the red herrings actually uncover some other subplot that are, that, you know, mm-hmm. that's not related, but they accidentally discover they've been following these red herrings, and lo and behold, somebody's been smuggling this whole time, and yes, it's a bad thing, it's not related to our main plot, but it has, actually is pretty cool, yeah. um, and this whole thing gets uncovered, and it becomes part of the plot that inf- affects the main plot, and using your red herrings that way, I think will feel much more satisfying. Science fiction, oh, go ahead, Mary. Well, I actually went to grab something. Um, I was working on a mystery and, and talked to Diana Rowland, who writes mm-hmm. uh, police procedural paranormal romances and used to be a cop and she had this fantastic thing which was very opening for me which don't info dump your clues by Mm. this i don't i mean don't have the scene where the reader learns about the clue also be the uh, learns about a piece of information also be the scene where you drop the clue that that character might be involved right um and then don't have the detective also realize that it's a clue in that same scene right because it's like Having everything, you right. have to spread them apart. And um, No, that and moment of revelation of, oh, that thing I discovered five chapters ago is actually a clue, not just a random tidbit. Right. That's great. Well, yeah, and what, fun- she, oh, go ahead. what she says specifically is that when you do that, you've left nothing for the reader to figure out, mm. and that part of the fun of these is for the reader to figure things out. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love dropping something that I know is a clue fairly early in the book, and then dropping something later in the book, which of itself wouldn't really be a clue except that it points up the existence of that first thing and positively identifies it as a clue. Yep. Um, I can't think of an example now, but I know that I did it in, uh, I did it in Force Multiplication and I did it in Longshoreman of the Apocalypse. So what Howard is saying is he's brilliant, you just have to trust him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Brilliant, um, let's bring it out with a, uh, with a writing prompt. That okay, writing prompt. Oh, yep, that's no, that's just fine. You said um, Mr. Okay. Brilliant, I thought yeah, you were talking he, to me. He forgot though. for a minute that I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> well, because of the mister. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, puzzle box. Okay, give us a mystery about the contents of a box. It's John for Travol- Travolta's soul. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Wait, Sorry. Oh, great. Spoilers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now you've done reference. it. Sorry. Um, Isn't that Bing yeah. Rame's soul? Maybe it's Bing Rame's soul. Anyway. Yeah. Whichever. Um, that's, you know, that's good. That's good. It's a puzzle box, and the answer to the puzzle is someone's soul is in this box. Now start building your way back to the beginning of the mystery so that the people who are trying to find out uh, the actual contents of the box are deceived into thinking that it's anything but a soul right up until the very end. Oh, that's, that's very nice. Way to roll with our stupid comments, Howard. <laughs> well done. You called me Mr. Brilliant. I had to execute <laughs> <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.